0: We are here today with Tim Hayden. He is the Principal Strategist at TTH Strategy. They're a strategic consulting firm that helps companies with the integration of new technology, people, and process. Tim is also the author of a new book on mobile, and he'll tell us a little bit about that. We're in Austin, Texas at the Capital Factory, and I'm interviewing Tim face-to-face, which I often do these interviews by Skype, but I kind of find it a little more fun when I can sit in the same room with somebody. And Tim is gonna share a whole bunch of great ideas about what's cool about his entrepreneurial venture, and also some tips he has for people who want to jump in with both feet and become an entrepreneur. Tim, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Tom. So let's start with a little bit of information. You have had a really eclectic journey uh, as a marketing person, as a strategic consultant, and as somebody who has really helped a lot of clients really find success. And now you've shifted your attention over to the mobile world. And, of course, mobile is where it's all at. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your journey?
1: Sure. I mean, I I think you and I have known each other for quite a while, Tom. And and I've, I've started agencies. I've started a software company. I've worked for Edelman, the world's largest PR firm and uh, all that time I've kind of understood that maybe I had this opportunity to do something much leaner, you know, and to do that in the role as a consultant. So uh, it's been about a year, year and six months now that TTH strategy has been there. And, uh, you know, just as you said, um, we're having a lot of fun, uh, myself and a group of another 10 consultants. And we're out there working with, with brands of all sizes and helping them how to increase profitability and actually lower their operational costs through the integration of new technology, lots of it, mobile.
0: So tell us a little bit about your new book, which centers on the whole mobile economy and the experience.
1: Sure. Uh, Actually, I was a co-author on the book with Tom Webster. Um, It was a book that I started writing about 18 months ago, and Tom was the tech editor. He decided to come in, and I I really uh, found that he brought great value. uh, He works with Edison Research as their VP of strategy. And the the title of the book is The Mobile Commerce Revolution, and it's not necessarily solely about what's happening in the payment space. I mean, just in the last week and a half, uh, it was actually this past Monday, uh, October 20th, that Apple Pay launched. It's not just about Apple Pay, PayPal, Visa Checkout, uh, all the other Square, all the other systems that are there. It's how we as a society, how human behavior is changing, not human nature, but how human behavior is changing in terms of how we find the things, discover the things that we want to buy, and ultimately how we buy them. So you bring up a really interesting
0: point that I talk about when I speak to audiences, and that is the tools we use to communicate, to buy things, to research, the tools we use are changing rapidly. In fact, you know, faster than any time in history, and I don't think it's about to slow down. However, how we're wired in our brains, who we are up up in our heads, that hasn't changed. So how does this impact you working with clients? How does this, people are the same, technology is different, and it's moving so fast. How does that impact both your your company, but then also
1: what you talk about in the book. Sure. I mean, I think one of the first things that we have to make very clear, and you outline this differently depending on who the client is, is that most of what people have used to run their business and to measure measure the performance of their marketing, of their communications, ultimately their operations, has been built around relational intelligence. And you can think about that in marketing. It's clicks, it's open rates on email campaigns, it's the amount of impressions that my television or my outdoor billboard ads are getting. I mean, we look at numbers and we expect those to be the indicators on how well the business is performing so to that point that the tools have changed but human nature um, is not changing that the behavior is changing we have to understand what it's like to build relationships and sometimes those are internal relationships with um, with employees with the staff uh, many times in almost all the time that's going to be how does mobility how does social media along with it how does that change the fundamental ways that we build relationships between brands and clients. So you really have to start from square one and start to look at humans before you look at technology. As I always say, mobile is about behavior before it has anything to do with technology.
0: So once again, everything comes back to relationships. At the end of the day, it's all about how do people feel about you and your product and your company. So with the clients that you work for, what's some of the advice that you give them in embracing these mobile technologies?
1: Well, I think the the first thing that we always look at is what they're doing from a incumbent system standpoint, usually email, their website. Are these things optimized for the mer- the, the very, I would say, uh, wide spectrum of devices that will find them, with sometimes Google or Bing being um, the, the, the channel that bring people from their initial search to that website um, or their email client? Different ways we can look at optimizing those things are just simply Understand what the behavior is, what the behavior is with uh, those those existing mediums. I think from there. It's, it's usually the reason we got the call in the first place somebody said hey let's build a mobile app or somebody said hey we want to put beacon technology you know this nice contactless technology that's going into coffee shops and into large retailers today we want to move forward with this because we read about it in the Wall Street digits are mashable you know uh, at the end of the day I think what we are able to do is have them look at things very pragmatically it's it's the dance that brought you it may be many of the things that you've already done there's a reason and why people are buying from you today let's understand that first before we then switch gears to talk about what other new innovative type of technologies or mediums we can put in place. So who is the ideal client for TTH strategy? You know that's a that's a question that we're we're answering better every day. I think it's anyone right now who is in a marketing, a communications, or business management role who is struggling to make sense of all the different options they have with um, the the software as a service tools that they can be using, social media, um, a mobile app, or a mobile website, um, a responsive website. Um, I think it's. It's those folks, and it can be any size organization. I've worked with nonprofits. I continue to work, as I have over the last 10 years, with folks that would have been otherwise labeled Fortune 1000 or Fortune 500. Um, but mid-cap companies, especially right now, um, they seem to be the ones, um, somebody who's around 20 to $50 million, uh, maybe, maybe up to $300 million in annual revenue, who right now is, from a trailing edge standpoint, they didn't adopt technology. They didn't go have a Facebook page the minute they could have one. those folks that have been laggards when it comes to technology adoption, they're in the perfect position right now to go from zero to hero in terms of adopting new technology because so much of it has been proven um, and we're starting to see some consistency in how people use technology. So you've made sort of this additional, not
0: necessarily a leap, but sort of a transition, an addition from being a agency guy and a consultant to now being an author and a speaker. And I know that you have been on a book tour and promoting the book, promoting the Mobile, mobile revolution, and also you have started to become you know quite a sought after speaker. How does this work in
1: conjunction with running a business? Well, I think it's it's two things: as a consultant and and not being an agency, I'm very agile. Um, I'm not married to technologies. I'm not married to certain media relationships. So. The more I speak at events, I have that inherent value that comes with starting to hear what else is happening in the world. I get to meet lots of people who have new wares, who have new services, other consultants. And at the same time, I get in a situation where, um, obviously, I'm developing business. Um, and uh, who knows? I'm, I may be learning some things that may make out for an, a, a new book. Um, but at the end of the day, my business by nature, just as, as you say with your podcast, um, you know, it's 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 so much more effective to be in the same room with someone. If I'm out there at an event and I'm able to have conversations, answer questions that an audience has, or be able to talk to people after I've spoke, um, I tend to get down to. A lot of those answers that aren't universally answered. You know, there's, there's. I think mobility. People have to understand there's no cut and dry standard practices for how technology works today. It's happening so fast. It's so agile and malleable. Depending on your industry, depending on your location. Um, uh, you know, I won't, I won't digress with that too much. But let's, let's be honest. We don't ride trains in the south. Um, in the state of Texas and in the southwest, our bridges don't freeze. We don't need mass transit. But if you go up to the Northeast, people are staring at tablets while they're on their way into work from Connecticut into Manhattan. Um, it changes uh, depending on who you are, where you are, who your customers are, what the purchase cycle is, and that often can those can often be the coordinates of where we start from a technology standpoint. And one of the things about speaking at events is uh, you get exposed to just about everything.
0: So, you know, I make my living mostly as a professional speaker. So I speak at events as my primary part of my career how does having it as an ancillary part of your career enhance your company? Because a lot of entrepreneurs who are out there come to me and say, hey, I want to be a speaker, but they don't really understand what that means because my world as a full-time speaker is a lot different than an entrepreneur who sort of promotes their business through speaking. And you sort of stand in both worlds because you get paid to speak, but you also get paid by the clients who hire you. So how, as an entrepreneur, is that speaking and writing that book important to – you know, how are you living it? How is it important to what you're doing today?
1: Well, I think it's, it's, it's something we, we hit earlier and, um, A, it's, it's about your, your importance, the importance of being pragmatic. You know, what's happening with new technology right now is not a baby in bathwater opportunity for people to throw everything out that they were doing before. It's more about how do we pragmatically slowly adopt new technology? Um, I think my ability to write a book that tells that story, um, that puts me in a position, not as some straight innovative thought leader, because that's not what I want to be. I mean, I want to be someone that people can understand in in plain terms that anyone whether they are a developer or a uh, up to date marketer or not I want them to understand what the opportunity is right now to change their business so speaking reinforces that certainly the book gave me this artifact to have out there um, Yeah, and you know it, it certainly raises my profile as a speaker so when it comes to that income, that revenue that the consultancy wants to, wants to see from me speaking, um, that, that may empower that to go a little further. And at the end of the day, I think it's, it's something that puts me in a position to develop new business relationships, whether those be strategic partners or they be new clients. So I've known you for
0: seven or eight years, and you know I've seen you speak before, and you're good at it, and you're actually getting better at it. So one of my complaints is a lot of people think because they're smart or they've done something cool, they belong on the stage. And we've all been in those conferences where the head of the consultancy or the entrepreneur or the person who took a company public or whoever it is gets up to give a speech, and you want to stick a needle in your ear. So the speaking is a skill that not every entrepreneur has. You have it, and you're developing it. Do you take that seriously,
1: and how are you developing it? I'm, well, I, th- I think I, I absolutely take it serious, but I have fun with it, you know. I think um, um – when you're asked to speak at an event uh, something I learned earlier is that the event producer the event host uh, whoever it may be um, they have quantified especially if they've paying they're paying you they've quantified you in the overall p l of the event you know and that's really where I saw it from from being an entrepreneur owning my own businesses why would anybody want me to be on this stage and I have the responsibility when I'm on that stage to entertain yes um, to provide some practical guidance to, who are, um, to who's in the audience about how new technology, new processes can change their business. Um, but I think that ability to build a relationship, I think at the end of the day, is uh, your ability to, uh, and not everyone can do it for per, per what you said. I mean, not everyone can be put on a stage. It's not the stage fright of being in front of a group of people. It's just the ability to relate to them and to be able to help understand what their needs are. Um, and for me, many times that's, uh, it's what I learned is I, I don't rehearse when I, when I speak. Um, that's odd to a lot of people. I, I don't rehearse. And honestly, I will change my presentation halfway through it sometimes based on what I'm receiving from the audience. Um, uh, Because many times that which I've got canned, uh, you know, slides that I've used at five other events preceding the one that I'm at, uh, the one that I'm speaking to at that point, I often find that I've got to make a left turn or a right turn to to keep them hanging in there, but also to provide value to them at the end of the day. Uh, That's what I always want to do is make sure everybody in there wants me to come back.
0: So over the course of your career, you've worked for big companies, you've started agencies, you worked for one of the biggest PR agencies in the world, you've gone out and you know started started a new consultancy. So what advice do you have for somebody who maybe they're sitting in their job, they're, they're working for a big company, or maybe maybe they're doing something for themselves, but they just don't love it, they don't feel that passion. What advice do you have for somebody who says, I wanna go down that path, I, I wanna do what Tim has done, I wanna blaze some trails, I wanna create opportunity for myself but they're sitting there really not sure what to do. What advice do you have for people in that situation?
1: Well, I think at the, at the end of the day, it, it comes down to something you already said. It comes down to passion. It's, um, I, I give this advice all the time to um, younger audience members, especially when I speak to colleges. Uh, somebody always asks the question, what's the, what's the biggest advice you can give to me? And I say, well, you, you know what you're trying to do. You're not trying to get a job. What you're trying to do is you're trying to make sure you wake up on Monday mornings and you're thrilled about what you're gonna do the rest of that day. And I think when you wanna make that leap to be an entrepreneur, you need to identify your passion or be familiar with it at least to a certain degree where you can start to see what's not happening in an industry, what's not happening in a specific market. And when you do that, the other thing I'm really, I'm, I'm really passionate about right now is licensing, is saying that always respect that What you are proficient with and what you think you can build may be applicable to another industry, to another market. And I see that here at Capital Factory. I see this uh, across the country when I talk to people that are more in the technology or the developer engineering world. Is understanding that you may go get in a, a large investment to build something that is specific to engage consumers at pizza stores. But at the end of the day, you may have something that's applicable to other um, other delivery needs that other industries would have. I think that's, uh, that's, that's a generalization, but it's understanding that you can always pay forward what it is you're doing right now. Once you've identified what it is you can be excited about and engaged in doing every day, the money will come, yes it will. How you build that, how you scale that up, I think will be you understanding that it may not all be, the opportunity may not all be exactly where you think it is. Always be looking at where it could be in other industries, other verticals, and I think more and more that's the that's not just something that happens in the technology world, that certainly happens in the training and the process, um, you know, the, the business operations world, the organizational development world as well. So clearly,
0: you wouldn't be doing this every day and doing all the things that you've done over your career if you didn't love working for yourself, if you didn't love the creation process of running a business. So what is it that you really, really like about your career side of your life?
1: You know, I, I think it, it comes down to initially. I mean, you're, you, you have this opportunity to build trust with someone. It's not defined by an NDA. It's, it's to where they will tell you their problems. And I've never ever aspired to be a therapist um, or a psychologist. But often I find myself in that situation where people are telling me some of their deepest pains. Um, And I I don't know, it's not that I enjoy hearing other people's pains. I just enjoy that I've been in a position with a vast network of resources, of friends, of people I can trust. And that includes people who also purvey the technology, purvey the systems. provide some of the other additional strategy that I cannot and in connecting those dots to make it to where at the end of the day someone uh, is coming back to me and seeing me be a direct or indirect hero that's helped them um I don't think that's a bad thing, but uh, when you get into strategic consulting as a as a practice, it's not all about some prescriptive thing that's defined by what your discipline is necessarily. It's about understanding how you can play around those interconnected things that are associated with it. So at the end of the day, um, I'm just having a blast that people continue to call me um, many times also with a contract, uh, but they're, they're calling me and asking me for, for advice and direction on on how this world works as we as we go wireless. So of course there's good sides,
0: but there's also downsides to working for yourself. I mean, it can be hard. You can wake up some mornings and want to just you know smack your shoe against your head a few times. What are the hard parts, or the parts that aren't your favorite, of being an entrepreneur?
1: Well, I'm 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 a big idea guy, um, and. And, and that gets me into trouble sometimes. Um, I know what's possible, always. I always know what's possible. Um, it's discerning what's plausible. And I think when you're an entrepreneur, you get super excited that It's not just a long leash, it's no leash that you have often. And you get excited about what's possible. And it's not always quickly answered that someone doesn't have the budget or doesn't have the manpower to manage it, but at the end of the day, it's what can you scale? I mean, being an entrepreneur, you have to spread yourself thin. and so much of that you can manage, but as you get more and more interest from new clients, as you get more and more excitement from existing clients, when you speak at an event and you, you have two slides that everybody just raises up and says, wow, I gotta have that. Um, I think at the end of the day, it's, it's saying, how do we scale, how do we manage, and how do we do it in a way that there aren't, there aren't too many and hopefully no tomatoes falling off the truck. So, Tim, you bring up spreading yourself too thin.
0: We all find ourselves in in that situation. So you're married and you have a young son. How do you balance running a business and traveling and being on a book tour and having people call you saying, Come speak at my event. We need a little Tim Hayden at this conference uh, with raising a kid and having a wife and, you know, having friends and going out and having a glass of wine with your buddies. How
1: do you manage all that? Well, I... I Who's to say that I do? Yeah, Yeah, at the end of the day, I think um, one of the reasons I didn't go back, I had an opportunity to go back and work for another large agency. Um, I had a lot of people ask me if I was going to start an agency. And... I've built my business in a way that I can leave my computer in my backpack, I don't have to get it out while I'm on the couch watching television with my wife at night and I certainly don't have to have it at the dinner table with me. Um, It's not that um, anywhere that I worked before required me to do that. but. At the end of the day um, you know I'm, I'm out doing one night or two night trips versus when I was working for a larger agency or I had my own I'd be in New York for three or four nights I would be in London for five nights I would um, I'd leave on Sunday nights I wouldn't come back till Friday um, that's one thing I certainly checked at the door I think the other side of that is just the beauty of, of mobile technology um, uh, if I can if I can catch my family and use FaceTime and be able to look my, look my family in the eyes and tell them good night and tell them I love them. Um, that's something I couldn't do six, seven years ago. Um, if I can, if I, if I can't make something like that happen, I'll send them a video. I mean, there's, there are those things you do to compensate for when you're not there. And I think technology is allowing us to do that. It certainly does not replace it. Um, and, and that's what I'm trying to do to have more aggregate time here in Austin with my family. And, um, and when I can, I, 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 pack them in a suitcase and take them with me. Well, you bring up a really good point that I see in my own
0: business. And that is when I worked in corporate America and I had a marketing job, when I would work, you know, they call it a 40 hour week job, but I don't know very many people who work 40 hours a week. So it was easily 60 hours a week. And when I had to travel, it was, I was told to travel and I was told I was going to be gone a set number of days. And now in my practice, in my business, you know, I sort of get to pick and choose a little bit. And while sometimes there's sort of a conference season when you speak at business events, so March, April, May is busy and September and October are very busy. You know, there's times when I'm gone a lot, but then in August, I think I traveled one night during that time. And so what I've done is I've made my family part of my business. So if I'm going to maybe be gone over someone's birthday before I sign the contract, we have a discussion about it. Now, my kids are old enough that they know that that's how daddy gets paid. I mean, the joke is, you know, daddy travels, that's how he buys the toys and the toys they want now aren't Barbies. The toys my girls want now are cars and iPhone sixes and, you know, brand new laptops. And they realize that dad's got to go work to do it. So I've tried to include my wife and my two daughters in my business so that they understand why I travel and when I travel. So you bring up a really good point that when you worked for a large corporation or a large agency, you know, you really, your time really wasn't your own. So while people think, oh, entrepreneurs, you know, one of my guests made a joke on one of the earliest shows that, you know, the great thing about being an entrepreneur is you get to choose which 20 hours a day you want to work. And everybody laughs at that. And there is some truth it. But the flip side and you bring it up is you get to structure your family into the business. So that that's fantastic. I want to shift gears really quick and ask you a question about mentors. So I know that throughout your career, since I've known you, you mentor a lot of people, you give a lot of time to entrepreneurs who want to get to know you and, and seek your advice. And that's sort of how you and I met seven or eight years ago. Have you had mentors and how have they
1: impacted your career? You know, I've I've always uh, qualified them as coffee shop mentors. Um, I don't think I've had a one to one mentor relationship with anyone, um, and and I and I say that I have to check that real quick. I mean, my mom um, certainly um, the many things she's done owning businesses, uh, doing great work in the community. Um, I've I've certainly had someone there as a uh, and my father in software sales. I mean, I've my my parents certainly um, over the years have have instilled so much. In me, on on how to be, I think just how to be. Uh, at the end of the day, though, I mean, there's there's been. Everybody from uh, Sam Decker over at Mass Relevance now Spreadfast, uh, Carrie Tate um, in the early days when I started one of my first agencies, um, she gave me great guidance on 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 how to build a business. Um, Rashad Tabakawala, who's with um, he's the chair of of Publicis Digital Groups, Digital um, Digitas LBI and Razorfish. Um, I don't spend a lot of time with him, but those few hours a a year that I get with him, I walk away just feeling inspired and and, and much more clear about where I need to be. Um, So I probably have a a, a short list but distinguished of of 10 or so folks that are are like that, those those who I just mentioned, Um, just being a few of them.
0: Well, and you're one of those people for me. Every time we get together and it's not often that we can have a glass of wine, I always walk away feeling like I can do more than I thought I could when we sat down. So you obviously pay it forward, which leads me to another question. And that is, how do you pay it forward? I mean, as an entrepreneur, you know, I think the best entrepreneurs find ways to give back. And and some people do it, you know, silently. Some people do it publicly. There's sort of a huge spectrum. What is it that you do to serve the greater good?
1: Well, I mean, I think, I think my wife and I do a fine job of checking the boxes. Uh, We both give back to our alma maters, um, uh, athletics programs, and and sometimes the schools that we went to. uh, That would be Texas State and San Marcos and the University of Texas, uh, respectively. Uh, She she went to UT. Um, But, uh, you know, for Almost 10 years, I sat on the board of directors of Meals on Wheels and more. Uh, I sat in that capacity uh, on that executive committee for six years of, of, of that term. And ultimately was the chair, um, have sat on the board of the Austin Chamber of Commerce. Um, and and I think um, it's, it's that which I've always believed. You wanna see change or you wanna be involved with your community. It's not always a business organization um, and with Meals on Wheels specifically, I, I still volunteer there. Uh, just term limits are the only reason that I have to sit a year out. I'll probably go back and join that board if they'll have me. Um, but I still volunteer uh, three times a month, go out and deliver meals um, and, and make contributions where I can, not just play in the golf tournament, actually write checks and, and probably have a handful of other nonprofits that I do that with. But I, I do agree with you, I think it's about how do you get out there and get involved. I mean, you want want your quality of life to improve. It's not just about your business. It's not just about Um, It's about your community. It's about your neighbors. And um, I I try to at least, given the time, uh, I try to do whatever I can to physically go out there and contribute my time and and whatever I can from a, a thought leadership standpoint or from an experience, business experience standpoint, to help nonprofits, to help service organizations be more successful.
0: Well, and that is important, you know, giving back to your community. And also you sort of touched on paying attention to what's going on in your, in your community. So let's shift back to the entrepreneurial community. I like to ask the question of, we call it cool things entrepreneurs do. And we've talked about all the cool things you're doing and have done, but what's something someone else is doing? I mean, we can talk about our own businesses all day long and, you know, we've done so for, for a while here, but what's something you see someone else doing that you think he or she is, that's cool.
1: Well, um, you know i no. i'm Everybody wants to talk about technology in Austin, and what's happening in the food and beverage space right now. Um, you know, you've got uh, Clayton Christopher and what, the, what those guys are doing with Deep Eddy Vodka right now, uh, my good friend Jack Fennell and Boomerang's Meat Pies, um, uh, Australian Australian Pies. Um, what he's done to trans, transition right now from having a small store there uh, just north of UT's campus to having a food truck to now being in- in so many of the Publix and the Whole Foods and the HEBs, um, as I've watched what he's done, he's taken um, he's taken what he had as a long career in sales at Dell and understanding process improvement to understand how to scale and make meat pies um, and vegetarian pies, Thai pies. I mean, it's uh, it's not it's not just a straight Australian meat pie that he's putting out there in the market now, and he is out there educating. It's um, it. It is to some people it's a new food category, but certainly the way he's branded it, there's not been anything else out there in the market. And how he's gone uh, over the last three years from running a very successful just physical store here in town to now being circulated in hundreds of grocers around the country. Um, that's, That's just a whole lot of fun to see anybody doing that when you watch their beginnings, uh, locally, but when they're a friend of yours and they scale that fast, um, it's, it's a whole lot of fun. Well, and I'm actually a big fan of the boomerang meat pies. My
0: wife and I buy the frozen ones and we uh, especially like the, uh, the Guinness beef and potato flavor one. And, and when they're out of those, we kind of cringe like, no, we need to get more. So, uh, I know what you're talking about. And I do think it's cool, especially in our tech world, when people cite, sort of more traditional bases, restaurants, and things like that of people who are doing it. So thanks for sharing that. And if anyone's listening, you know, go to your grocer and ask for those boomerang pies because that's an Austin favorite. So Tim, I would like to thank you for letting me meet you here at Capital Factory and do a face-to-face interview for cool things entrepreneurs do. I really do appreciate your time. And I've said this before on Twitter and on my blog that one of the most interesting things, this is episode 11 of the podcast, one of the most interesting things about doing this podcast, I've been teaching, you know, skills about your reputation, your brand, your network for well over a decade now. And I don't think I've ever come across a tool that is better for networking than this podcast because not only are there so many cool people out there who are listening to it, who are emailing me and, and Twittering me and, and contacting me to say, Hey, I really liked listening to Tim or Brian or Jessica, you know, or Mary or whichever episode they listen to, but also it gives me the chance to sit down face to face or via Skype with my friends. And I actually learn so much more. I've just learned so much more about you in this half hour that we've spent together. So I want to thank you for being here.
1: Thank you Tom it's always a treat to be to be in the same room with you having a glass of wine or on a podcast and congrats to you on episode 11 it's been it's been an honor to be here with you today
0: and thank you all for listening Take what you learned from Tim and put it into practice. And you can always find me at TomSinger.com. That's T-H-O-M-S-I-N-G-E-R.com. Or you can find me on Twitter at at TomSinger. Go on out there and have a great day. Thank you for being part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. Without your participation and listening to these conversations, there is no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter at at TomSinger.
1: This podcast was produced in part by Podfly.net. Podfly, passion for great-sounding podcasts. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.